All right. Well, we're talking about questions. That seems to be the thing that's on the screen here. And when it comes to questions, everybody has them. I mean, we know what they are. Everybody asks them. However, there are some questions you should be real careful with because maybe maybe you should never ask them at all. Like if you're doing a job interview, if you're going in for a job interview, then you should never start the interview by saying, where is the break room? No, no, that's not a good idea. Or, or you should never ask, how late can I be without getting fired? That, that doesn't speak well for your future. Uh, or how long your lunch break is here at this company. Uh, or if the company monitors internet usage. That's not a good question. Or if you, or you have to take random drug tests. I, I wouldn't bring that one up, up either. These are not the best ones to ask. And there's more questions you shouldn't ask, just of people in general. For example, you know, asking somebody, well, why are you single? Now, that's not real. That's not very tactful. Or, or, or do you think you should be eating that? I hate it when people ask me that question. Uh, or are you going to eat all of that? Is that what you're planning to wear? That's not a good question. Have you put on weight? What's happened to your hair? Is your baby a boy or a girl? That's, that's a terrible question. Are you pregnant? And if she says yes, never ask if she's having twins. Never. That's a terrible no-no. In fact, it's best not to ask a pregnant woman anything. Just, just don't do it. And then there are questions that you should probably never answer honestly. That sounds strange, but this is for the men in the room, Okay. Are you ready? You should never ask this question. This counsel will help you. If you ignore this counsel, it will bring you grief. All right, here we go. When a woman asks, does this dress make me look fat? You say, no. In fact, if this question, does these, do these jeans make me look fat? The answer is what? Good job, man. Does this shirt make me look fat? Do you think I'm fat? <laughs> I'm fat, aren't I? The answer to all of those is absolute no. Any questions that have to do with fat, always say no. All right? Got that? All right, so the bottom line is getting questions right can change your life in a whole lot of ways. And this is our focus for the next uh, few weeks leading up to Easter. Because one of the most important things you and I will ever do is learn to, to get questions correct and understand the value of them. Because we're familiar with it. Most, most questions we ask are rather trivial. And we ask them of ourselves. Like we, you wake up in the morning and you, should I get out of bed or should I sleep a little longer? Uh, in my case, I wake up and should I beat the dog now or save time later? Because he's whining at the door all the time. Um, another question is, you know, what should I eat or what should I wear or what do I have to do today? What's the weather going to be? Like? These, are, these are not necessarily, you know, high-octane questions. And they're not really life-altering uh, questions any, to, to any great degree. Some of them might even be urgent in some cases, but they're not all that important. And there, my friends, lies the difference. What is, are the things that you would question in life, are they important or are they just simply urgent? Author Charles Hummel tells of the time when he was a young guy, and he just started out in the marketplace, and a more experienced manager came up to him and took him aside and said, you know, 
Your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the things that are important. Maybe you've understood that. Maybe that's happened to you in your life. And But that little maxim, he said, changed his life so profoundly that he actually wrote a book about it called The Tyranny of the Urgent. It's a fascinating little volume. It's not very, you ought to read it. Tyranny of the Urgent. But in the book, he speaks of how we live our lives in constant tension between the urgent and the important. And we have to know the difference. Important things don't necessarily have to be done today or maybe even this week. Important things like a visit to a friend or reading an important book or having prayer time, Bible reading, you know, they, they, they're important, but they don't scream for attention. But urgent things scream at us. Answer the phone. Got to respond to that text or that email. Got to read that text. Got to make that deadline. Got to do that workout. See, urgency, the urgent things scream for our attention. And as a result, we normally give it to the urgent things. But life isn't just about what's urgent. It is so filled with the important. And a wise person makes a conscious decision that you're going to determine what the important things really are. Okay, we're on the same page. See where we're going with this? This is why these questions are so important. And there are a few things more important than asking yourself important questions and then taking the time to wrestle with those and to get what the answer should be, especially in light of what God would have to say in His Word. The right question can give you invaluable insight, and it can help us overcome blind spots. Did you bring your blind spots with you today? We all have them. But, you know, asking questions can help us find that. The right answer is so vital. And you can hold your life up like a mirror and look at it and to see yourself in a way maybe you've never done it before, maybe you've never thought of before. The right questions can lead you to action you never would have taken otherwise. And... As Christians especially, as we wrestle with the right questions, we can experience learning and growth and insight and then maturity. Now, there are some questions, though, that are life-transforming questions. And it's appropriate that we find them in God's Word. And it's particularly appropriate that Jesus himself is the one asking these questions. Because anything that the Lord tells us will have the power to change us. He not only asks us questions to draw our attention to certain aspects of our life, He gives us the strength and the power and the ability to then pull some things off we could never do by ourselves. So there are four questions in particular we're going to be taking a look at in this series. Questions Jesus asked, four of the most thought-provoking, life-changing questions that maybe have ever been asked in all time in history. That's our focus. And the first one is, and the response to it is detailed in six dramatic scenes in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And that's where we're going to start reading together. Sometime later, this is the setting for our drama, sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. They were the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So when Jesus sees him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him a question. Do you want to get well? 
Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And, and the day on which this took place was the Sabbath day. So the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Now, isn't that just like certain people? They're more concerned about the stupid mat being carried than whether the guy's standing up on his two feet again. But he replied, well, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. But later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, we're going to explore this. It's going to take us a few minutes to do, but we're going to get it done. I want to dig into this passage, and we're going to start with scene two. We're going to talk about this man, the condition of this man, because it was pretty bad. He had been a paraplegic, unable to walk for 38 years. Now, when you think about it, being a paraplegic in those days was much different than it would be today because society pretty much just threw you aside and you were less than worthless. There wasn't a lot of sympathy and concern much in this time. There was no health insurance either. So you were not only on your own, but you were a social and relational outcast because of your condition. It's a harsh world back then. His only means of survival would have been begging and uh, he had to pull himself along the ground because he couldn't walk. Um, he had the hygiene issues and other things. He was kind of physically repulsive. I'm sure they didn't smell very well. And he'd been afflicted in this condition for 38 years. But here's what he would do. Let's go to scene three. We introduce the waters. Well, he would crawl to the waters of Bethesda. Let me show you a model. This is a part of a display that's outside the city of Jerusalem. But it's so cool. It's a model of the city. And it shows all the particular places. And it takes up quite a bit of space. I mean, it takes you a while to walk all the way kind of around it. Uh, it used to be in one location the first time I was in Israel. And then they moved it to a better location up closer to the, to the city. But um, this model shows the pool of Bethesda. And it's got notice on two levels. You've got a high pool and low pool. And the picture I'm going to show you now is what it looks like today from the high perspective. That you're standing up higher. And there's that first pool. And then on the other side, you see that lower spot. That was where the lower pool was. You can visit them today. And there's still water that trickles in there even to this day every time that it rains. This pool of Bethesda, though we have no proof of it in Scripture, uh, you know, uh, we're assuming that this man uh, went here to lie, uh, hoping you know, that he, someone would help him get into the pool. We don't know what he ever done as far as we can see from the Word. But he did nobody to help him. And then we come to scene four. Here's the question that Jesus asked. Do you want to get well? Now, this may seem a little out of touch. In fact, even a little bit insensitive if you really ponder it. Let me read it again. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, can you imagine this guy laying there? Here's this stranger comes up to him and asks him if he wants to get well. Now, he's sitting there thinking, or laying there thinking, seriously? 
I mean, do I want to get well? I mean, do you think I like it here? You like the, you think I like the way I smell? Do you think I like crawling through the streets? You think I'm, I like being taunted and mocked and ridiculed by people? I mean, have to beg for a living? Why, why of course I want to get well. You would assume that would be his thought processes. But I don't want you to miss this. There's a difference, and it's a big one, between needing to get well and wanting to get well. Maybe there's some things in your life and you really do know you need to change them. There needs to be some healing in some areas. There needs to be some change in the way you approach some situations, maybe relationally, maybe, maybe spiritually. But do you really want to get well? That's the question. For many people, what has crippled them has become a way of life. Maybe you, maybe you know somebody like that. Maybe when you look in the mirror, you see somebody like that. It's an important issue. There have been accounts of people who've been in prison for years who really didn't want to leave the prison, at least by their actions. Whenever they were actually forced to leave and their sentence was up, there have been accounts of where they would commit some petty offense of some kind just to get sent back to the prison because it was, well, it was safe there. It was familiar they knew the drill. They knew how it was. They probably had friends there. I mean, who knows? But they don't know that they want the other life now of freedom. There are those who are in difficult situations. Maybe it's a physical challenge or you face a, a, anything that may come your way that, that brings challenges to you. But you know what happens? When you're going through some of this stuff, well, you get a lot of sympathy. People come up, maybe they may give you gifts. They may give you handouts. They may want to help you. It's why there have been accounts of people who faked having cancer. Did you know that? They faked it. Some of them even lie about a missing child just to get sympathy, get this concern. And they're pathetically in need of the attention and sympathy it brings to their life. And then there are those of us who are just full of rationalization and excuses about our condition, like this man. Basically, he was saying, well, I'm not well. It's not my fault because I don't have anybody to help me get in the water. So he says, this is not my problem. Somebody else is not helping me. I wouldn't have this problem to begin with. In fact, that's been his only strategy for 38 years. Crawl to the waters and hope to be the first in the water to be healed. And because no one would help him, well, it's not about him, he says. It's not about me. Everybody else's fault that I'm miserable. You know, you think about this guy at the pool. We've got to read between the lines a little bit here, but this is what he's really been doing, and he's been about this his whole life. Lying around the waters, hoping for a quick healing. Kind of like the lottery. He's playing the lottery, hoping for the big win. All his life, whoever gets to be first in the pool, that's his total focus. And when it doesn't happen, he spends the rest of his time having to beg, Asking people for help. And for him, the question Jesus asked was really a good one. Just like it may be really good for some of us. Do you really want to do what it takes to be well? Do you really want to take the steps necessary to get better? Big question. Which brings us around to this one. Is there something in your life that had you lying by the pool this morning? Obviously, you need some help. You're hurting. You need God's touch. 
But at the same time, you become comfortable with your brokenness and you're not sure you really want to change. I read of a campus minister who worked with college students and talked to them a lot regularly about the claims of Christ. I don't remember the actual organization he was with, but he had one particular student that was intellectually intrigued by the gospel, by the the, the interesting things he was saying about Jesus because he had no background and didn't know anything about this. So the campus minister challenged him to go home and gave him some passages of Scripture to read, and they were all about the prophecies of Jesus that were foretold way back in the Old Testament about the Messiah that was coming and how then you can compare that to what happened to the account in the New Testament where the Messiah actually came and how it was all fulfilled in great detail in the life of Christ, as recorded particularly in the book of Matthew. So the student said, okay, I'm all over it. So he went and took his questions and got his Bible, and he came back a few days later. And the guy asked him, he said, well, what have you decided? And the student said, you know, I was blown away by this. Uh, it's amazing. I'm stunned. Quote, I honestly had no idea. I think it's probably true. In fact, I, I just was blown away. And the campus minister then said this to him. That's awesome. That's great. So let's have another conversation about the implications of this and what Christ should mean and might mean for your life. Are you up to exploring that? And he shook his head. He said, no, not really. Here's what he added. I'm going to be very candid with you. He said, I have a very active sex life, and I know Jesus would want to change that. And frankly, I don't want anyone to change that. End of conversation. See, it's one thing to know you probably ought to do something. It's another altogether to just simply take the steps to not do it and ask for God's help. I mean, to many of us, Jesus could say, well, do you really want to stop gossiping? Do you really want to end that affair? Do you really want someone to stop watching porn? Do you want to save your marriage? Do you really want to be reconciled to that person? Do you really want to run with the right crowd at school? Do you want to stop stealing? Do you want to be ethical? Do you want to clean up your language? Or, as Jesus said very bluntly, six words, do you want to get well? There's a lot in the question. In fact, in all these questions we're going to look at, there's a ton of significance and implications embedded within each one. But maybe you've been laying by that pool for a while. Never, never quite made it to the waters. You see, asking if you want to get well is really asking if you want to leave the old life, the old ways, for a brand new life and ways. But that old life is comfortable and it's familiar. And maybe you've lived it a long time. You may not particularly like where it's brought you. Or maybe what it holds down the road. But you don't want to leave the old just yet for the new. I wonder sometimes here at the church, I see folks that come in and I've talked to them a little bit. And they, they come for a while and it's nice to see them. And then they vanish. And I always wonder if maybe there's a situation like this. Where they got into it. They need it. They, 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 they feel that... that uh, Tug on the heartstrings. You know, when, when, the, when the Bible is preached and the Holy Spirit's moving and, and we have that sense of agreement, something our spirit, God's spirit bears witness with our spirit. And somehow at that moment we've said, wow, this is exactly what I need. But then the next thought that comes is, but I'm going to have to change a whole bunch of stuff before I can do this. Now, I think that's wrong thinking because we don't do the changing. 
So that's the thing that Satan loves to deceive us and to think we've got to go through the hoops and all these kind of things. But you know, Jesus went through all that stuff for us already. All we have to do is just agree with him about our condition and rely on him and the power of the Holy Spirit to live life as we're supposed to live it and take that seriously. Now, let's get back to what happened. Some of that stuff was free. You didn't pay for it. Okay. Scene five. Here you go. This is where the healing takes place. John five, verse eight. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once he was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, now this is an interesting miracle for Jesus. And here's the reason why. There's basically, as he said once. But this healing was different because there was nothing about this man that indicated. He believed in Jesus, not a whisper. No indication he even knew who Jesus was. He couldn't tell the the crowd when they asked him about it. There's no indication he had any faith at all. He didn't even ask to be healed. But Jesus just did it. So in this case, this kind of thing is a a faith-resulting miracle. And not so much a faith-resulting, but a faith-creating miracle. Meaning that in his solid will, God decided to do this. And it was not so much a result of the faith of the individual, but in the hopes of creating that faith, both in the man, but also all those who saw him and saw this thing. I mean, you had had a lot of witnesses here. There were people who said, wait a minute, is this a guy that's been laying by the pool all these years? What happened to him? It's a powerful witnessing opportunity here, you would think. But did it work? Look at scene six. These are the final words recorded here about this. By the way, it's a final conversation as far as we know that we see recorded. Later on, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. And that's a good thing. Jesus found the man in the temple. You know, that, I, the guy had enough sense to say, maybe he had to go there and I needed to pray. He, he knew he had to give thanks. He, he especially knew, according to Jewish law, he had to go and show himself to the priest, that he was no longer sick. He was no longer you know, in the condition he'd been in before. And that was expected. But they meet again, and Jesus says to him, you're physically well again. God's done something wonderful in your life. It really has happened. But then he adds this. Verse 14, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, it's pretty straightforward, uncomfortable, but straightforward. Jesus tells him that even though he healed him, he needed to stop sinning or something worse could happen to him. Now, if you're just looking at this on the surface, Jesus, you might think, is suggesting that something the man had done, you know, in the past had created this, you know, but we don't know. We don't know anything about this, this, this physical thing, how it started. But Jesus tells him that even though he healed him, he needed to stop sinning. There needed there's a spiritual dimension to this choice that he's got to deal with. He's not suggesting the man's sin brought on the condition I mean, you can die of lung cancer just because you smoke. My father did that. You can have your spouse leave you just because somebody had an affair. But that's not what he's talking about. Since this had been going on for 38 years, this was probably something that 
he had as a condition. He may have been born with it or come through a childhood illness or some kind of energy. We don't know. But understand, this is more about Jesus telling him his physical condition was nothing to worry about compared to the spiritual condition that he did need to worry about. His eternal state, and if he didn't turn to God in light of his healing, if he didn't let this experience be a faith-creating event, then his life could be even worse than it was. Because, I mean, take it, I mean, really, a Christless eternity made the hell he was living on earth seem like nothing. So, do you hear what Jesus was saying to this man? On the deepest, most profound levels, he says, do you really want to get well, fully well, completely well? You've been physically healed now, but that's all. Do you want to be completely well? C.S. Lewis wrote a fascinating little book called The Great Divorce, and it's a fictional account of a group of people, as strange as it sounds, a group of people who take a bus ride. Now, they take a bus on a journey. The bus journey goes from hell to heaven. So in this imaginary story he told, here's this account of people, group of people going to heaven on a bus, like a tour. You know, like you've never been to the Holy Land, you go over and look at it, and you come back home. So in a sense, they were all on this bus, but no one who takes the ride wants to stay when they get to heaven. They don't want to live differently. They don't want to experience life differently. They, want to, they don't want to live apart from their sin and dysfunction. They don't want to live differently. Even when given the opportunity to live in absolute paradise, they turn it down because they've chosen an identity and it's the identity that they want. They don't want to identify with Christ. They want to identify in ways that they're comfortable with. The one they are resigned to and the things that they don't want to change. They've chosen to live by the pool, in other words. So here's the punchline and we're done. Maybe for some time you've been wrestling with something. Maybe you know there's some other element of your life, some area of the way you're, you're thinking, for your, your understanding of things. You're understanding you need some healing. Not just physical, though it might even be physical, but this is, this is spiritual healing. And Jesus comes to you. He comes to you able to heal you fully, completely. He has what is needed to take us both inside and out and make us better. But the only way we can enter into that healing is by a relationship with him. And make no mistake, before any of the journey can take place, he's going to ask you a simple question. Do you really, really want to get well? And you've got to wrestle with that. You're going to have to wrestle with all four of these questions. I've had to do, I'm done doing it as we put this material together. You have to wrestle with them. But until you can answer that one, you will never ever leave the pool. I'll leave you with that thought. Father, thank you so much. You are so good to us. You give us every single resource, everything that we need for a life of godliness. You provide all that is sufficiently needed. All we must do is to just agree to let you have control. 
let you take our life, let you mold us and shape us after your will. And Father, as we go through this series on these questions, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us talk to those that we, we respect and those that walk with you and get insight from them about some of these roadblocks, these, these barricades to our living a successfully useful life in your kingdom. Help us, Father, to say yes to you and no to the things that are not going to help us. But it's, our, it's so hard, Lord, and so we just ask for that strength and openness so that when the question comes, that we'll be able to say, yes, Lord, yes, I want to get well, and I'm willing to do whatever it is you ask of me to do it. We love you, Father. Thank you. You never, ever, ever close the door on us. You love us so much. Help us take advantage of the love and the opportunities that you freely grant. In Jesus' name, amen.